0: Well, I welcome you all in the name of the Lord. We're going to crank up our adult session. You guys know the teens and the young people are scattered out in the other rooms. Uh, Today continues a look at a doctrine that is called justification. We've been looking at that doctrine for this month. And today's question is one that you may have never asked. Maybe you have. But if you're in Christ, I know you've done the response to the question of today. And we want to help each other think biblically about the question so that we can do it more faithfully. Here's the question. So what? We taught theology and we should in the Christian life and in churches. Doctrine matters. God wrote a book but when we think about justification, we've looked at two things. What does the Bible say and how have, how have Christians articulated and, and really fought for fidelity to the details of the doctrine of justification? That was the previous two weeks, so today's the so what. Here's the question I wonder if you've ever asked. If I believe the biblical doctrine of justification, how would that apply to my life, the way I live? Well, I've asked a number of brothers in the church to stand in uh, with me, uh, not for me, with me uh, through the year uh, to to teach a different section or to lead a different section of this. So there's five or six other brothers that'll be sprinkled in from now through November as we continue our series on this uh, Elder Affirmation of Faith core doctrine series. But today I've asked Blake Pugh to give us some thoughts about What does it look like to live in light of the doctrine of justification? The so what? What what does it look like in our life? Let me pray and then I'll hand it over to Blake. Father, I pray that we would live in light of the reality that you have made us righteous in Christ. Or I pray another way that you would sanctify us as the fruit of the ground of having been made right with you in Christ. So help us today as we think about a glorious doctrine of scripture, open our minds and our hearts to receive, to believe, to apply. I pray for all the other classes that are going on Lord, that you would minister to the young people and the teachers, that you would cause your word, as Thessalonians said, to speed forth rapidly, to bear fruit, and to increase. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, brother.
1: All right, so, that's good, Uh, like Jordan said, we're going through the Elder Affirmation of Faith, this is Article 9, The Justifying Act of God, and this is Week 3, it's the Practical Theology, so it's the so what, like he said, and I really have two points, two so what's, and they're look and love, so that's where you see the title, so let's dive into it. So, Mr. Jordan already hit on this pretty good, but just a refresher, what is practical theology? We're just trying to live in light of what we've heard the past two weeks. So the past two weeks, we, we looked at justification, so we're not going to re-look at it, um, but we're going to say, how should it affect Monday through Saturday um, this week at work and home and dinner table and in my thought life and all of those things so I think a really good verse for it is the one you see up here Ephesians 4 1 so in Ephesians where we'll be a decent bit today the first three chapters Paul lays out the gospel in maybe the deepest gospel spot of the whole Bible Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 and then in 4 he says I therefore so based on everything I just said want you to walk in a manner worthy I'm going to try to Yeah. Walk in a manner worthy. So it's about walking in light of the gospel. So that's what we're going to look at now. And we're going to read the article first. So this is the first section, and then there will be, so this is point one, then there will be a point two. We believe that in a free act of righteous grace, God justifies the ungodly by faith alone, apart from works, pardoning their sins and reckoning them as righteous and acceptable in his presence. Faith is thus the sole instrument by which we as sinners are united to Christ, whose perfect righteousness and satisfaction for sins is alone the ground of our acceptance with God. This acceptance happens fully and permanently at the first instant of justification, Thus, the righteousness by which we come into right standing with God is not anything worked in us by God, neither imparted to us at baptism nor over time, but rather is accomplished for us outside ourselves and and is imputed to us. So when you're justified, you're forgiven, and you're counted as perfectly righteous by God, and that comes through faith, and it's accomplished outside of us it's not anything going on in here it's just what God puts on you as it were point two is about what goes on inside of you we believe nevertheless that the faith which alone receives the gift of justification does not remain alone in the person so justified but produces by the Holy Spirit the fruit of love and leads necessarily to sanctification this necessary relation between justifying faith and the fruit of good works gives rise to some biblical expressions which seem to make works the ground or means of justification but in fact simply express the crucial truth that faith that does not yield the fruit of good works is dead being no true faith so yes for the past two weeks we've just labored that none of your works will make you right with God but the works do come after the faith and they have to be there or it's proof that the faith is not really there. Faith without works isn't faith, it's dead. So that, so there's two points that we're going to look at to kind of flesh that out Two callings. Remember Ephesians 4:1. one, I call you to live a certain way. And here's the two points right here. It's look from self to savior and it's love, save sinners. The LSS, um, I think Katie said that's called a mnemonic, and it, it's just something to maybe help you keep it in your head, so here we go. So look from self to savior. So the first application of justification is to not look at what's in here or in here, but to look, at, to look out of yourself for justification. So we're gonna look at three passages briefly, So Romans 4 is, I'm going to read it. Well, we're going to talk about not working but believing. That's what this one's going to be about. Now let's read it. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is right in the context of... That Romans 1 through 3, where Paul's talking about all men are under sin. Nobody can be justified by the works of the law. So then he gives an example. If, if you work, when you go to work every day and your boss pays you, it's not grace. It's just I earned this and you give it to me. That can't be the gospel. You have to receive it as a child. Child receiving a gift. He doesn't try to tell his dad all the things that he did to get the gift. He just takes the gift, runs off, and plays with it. So the next passage, look from self to Savior is Luke 18, and we're going to see that those who trust in themselves that they're righteous are not justified. So let me read it. You know this parable. He also told this parable, that's Jesus, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. So um, we're just going to spend a moment here, but we could spend a lot of time here. But think about the two men at the temple. Try to see them. A Pharisee thanks God for how good he is. And the tax collector just says, be merciful to me. And Jesus says, not the one with all the good the one who just said, be merciful to me is justified. Which one, rhetorical question, which one was looking at self and which one was looking at savior? It's not that the things the Pharisee were doing was bad. It's good not to be an extortioner and unjust and adulterer. And it's good to thank God for it. Those were good things. He was, if we just saw him and didn't really know his heart, He would look like a really good dude, you know? Uh, You might want to, like, make him a deacon or something. He would look upright. But when you peered into the heart, he was trusting in that goodness to justify him. And the tax collector was nothing. He he went to God's bank and declared bankruptcy, kind of. He said, I have nothing. I just need help. I just need something from you. So the practical application is... Be like the tax collector. Look away from yourself and look to God's mercy. And then one more. This is really similar. It's Ephesians 3. You know it. Paul lists all the good things he used to have in Judaism and then says, but I count them as loss. Right? Really popular passage. So it's in the context of a warning to not trust in the law to be justified. And um, I have just a, I've cut out a lot of it for time, but we're just going to look at a few phrases of it and um, try to see how that helps us look from self to Savior. So, we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The Pharisee in Luke 18 put confidence in the flesh. Paul is saying we don't put any confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more as to righteousness under the law blameless so if anybody can earn their stance with God it would have been Paul if you'd have looked at him he was he was the Tom Brady of Jews he was up here he kept the law he fasted probably twice a week he uh, memorized more scripture a week than uh, we might even read, he, he was killing it, but um, he didn't, maybe he was married before he became an apostle. If he was, he was faithful in his marriage. He didn't, at least in an explicit sense, commit adultery on his wife. Um, so those are all good things, but Paul says, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Now, why would Paul, All those are good things. Keeping God's law is a good thing. Why did Paul say he would count them as a loss? And he says it's for the sake of Christ, the next phrase. So I want to give a little illustration that I hope will be helpful. So you can do something in accounting that's called a T-chart. And I hope that you can see that decently. And um, basically when you do a T-chart, you're trying to figure out how much money you have. So you put your losses over here and you put your gains over here and you add it all up and then you get to the bottom and do the math and down here is, well, it's too low but down here at the bottom you know how much you have. So what Paul is saying is if, if this is a T-chart if he's adding up his expenses and his debts for, for righteousness for just going to but something like that. He would put everything good in the loss column. He would put following God's law and fasting and giving tithes in the loss, and the only thing that he would put in the game is Christ. And maybe you're asking the question I get it that it, it only is Christ. that that makes us good. But why would Paul say that good things are a loss? Why would you put good things over here? Why not just kind of make them neutral? Well the reason is that if you're trusting in those things Paul was trusting in, or today, today if if we're trusting in you know being a member of a healthy church or doing family worship or memorizing scripture or being faithful to our wife, if we're trusting in those things to justify us, they're going to keep us away from trusting in Christ alone. They're going to be hindrances to saying it's only Christ. If I'm trusting in my church um, involvement to make me righteous, it's going to push me from Christ. So I'm going to take that church involvement in as far as it justifies me and count it as a loss. I hope that that kind of points out a little bit of how we're, we we got to look totally away from ourselves to Christ. It can't be anything in us, even the good things that justify us. So, that's it on that one. Now we're going to go to the next the next big point, and that one's love saves sinners. So, we're looking away from ourselves, we're looking to Jesus. Um and we're not just doing that when we're first justified. We're doing that every day, every hour even. Um, and then the next one is to love saved sinners, to love Christians, to love one another. So you see I got the color here, and it, um, the reason I use the color, I hope it's not too distracting, but it's, it's to try to point out something so that I hope that that will show up. And what you see here is, I started noticing while I was preparing for this, that you see a lot in the New Testament this pattern. And the pattern is gospel, therefore love so the authors the New Testament authors will start out with the gospel and they'll preach the gospel to you and they'll explain how you're justified and how you're adopted and how you're going to be glorified and then they'll say therefore therefore meaning so based on the gospel I want you to to do something to be something and they all say or at least the three we're going to talk about say love so, let's, we're going to see that John, Peter, and Paul do this. We're going to look at that briefly, and then we're going to focus in on one thing Paul says, and then we'll be done. So, um, so, the color code is the green words are the gospel, and the pink is like the call to action, the therefore. And then the blue is the command to love. So, I've taken um, some verses out of Ephesians. You remember we said Ephesians, the first three chapters are gospel, gospel, gospel. And then the last three chapters are how to live in light of the gospel. So this green up here is just a few of the things in Ephesians 1 through 3 Paul says about the gospel. Um, So just to take one for instance, we're forgiven of our trespasses. That's in Ephesians chapter 1. So then he says in Ephesians chapter 4, therefore, walk a certain way. You have to live a certain way in light of this truth. And then here's the love part. He says, so read the blue with me, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, let's briefly look at Peter and John, do the same thing, just to see the pattern, and then we're gonna go back to what Paul says in Ephesians. So in Peter, remember the green is the gospel, so we're obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, and then here's the therefore, that's the call to action, and here's the, here's the love. Love one another earnestly. And that's all in First Peter chapter 1. I've taken some out for space, but you see the pattern. So let's see John do it real quick. So the same thing. Um, the, look at the green. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the gospel. Now, John doesn't use the word therefore, but he brings into light the commandments. That's right here. It's just, he's doing the same thing. And then what's the command? And it's, it's down here. Whoever loves his brother So that's a really big deal. All three of probably the major New Testament authors preach the gospel to you and then say, okay, live a certain way. And they all pretty quickly say, the the command they get to is, love your brothers. So let's focus in on what Paul says about it um, just briefly. And then we'll uh, take questions and maybe pray. I think the the one thing that I want to point out in Paul, so this is is that chapter 4. He urges them to walk worthy of how they've been called. We talked about this one at the beginning. And then he describes what that looks like with like a bunch of um, adjectives and participles and stuff. So the main thing I think I want to point out is Paul says, bearing with one another in love. Gospel, therefore, love, right? So... The fact that Paul has to command us to bear with each other um, assumes that we're gonna bother each other, that we're gonna sin against each other, that we're gonna annoy each other, that we're gonna think differently than each other. Because in heaven, this command will be obsolete. You won't have to bear with anybody in heaven because they won't be a sinner. Um, matter of fact so the word patience right there I looked up like the definition for the Greek word that's that's used for patience right there and it's to bear up under provoking basically so it's to somebody's poking you and they're bothering you and you don't you don't poke back or you don't demand justice you just bear it you just bear up under it so now I want to ask the question, why are we called to live like that in light of the gospel? Because remember, this is Ephesians chapter 4, and it comes after chapters 1 through 3. So how are they connected? And it's, you probably already know the answer, but it's, it's that that's how God has dealt with us. God has born with us. We have poked God and annoyed God, you might say, and rebelled against God and slapped God in the face. I think that's in the sermon text today. They slap him. Um, And he responds with Ephesians 1 through 3. It's insane. It's so anti how humans normally respond to each other when we sin against each other. Um, he He responded with kindness. He responded by adopting you. He responded by forgiving you. He responded by dying for you. So that's how we're called to respond to each other now that we've been justified. We will bother each other. We will sin against each other. We will um, see things differently than each other. And um, we're called to bear it. We're called to be humble and gentle and patient with each other. We're called to, that's just a description of what it looks like to love one another. That command, love one another. So brief overview and we're done. Um, The two main points were, Look from self to Savior, the T-chart, even your good deeds in justification are, are loss. It's all a loss. The only thing that adds anything to God approving you is, is Christ and his life, like, like we talked about the past two weeks, not to rehash it. And then the second big point is love saves sinners, the, the pattern. The gospel, therefore live a certain way love, to to treat one another as God has treated us. Okay, we got um, six minutes. If there's any questions, we'll take them and then um, might either get a volunteer, or ask somebody or something to just pray for us that we would do those two things because otherwise if we don't do them, this was a solid waste of 30 minutes. So um, does anybody have any questions? Or, inner, or something you want to say, it doesn't have to be a question.
2: I'll say something real
3: quick. Um, I, I think that it was really helpful
1: for you to point out that
3: we should expect to be poked, provoked and annoyed by one another. Yeah. I think that's something we need to consider as we're like considering how to fight sin, yeah. knowing that that's going to happen and we need to run to the gospel every single time. I appreciate that. Amen. know that I can like formulate my questions super good but um, I was trying to think of it when you said that you know have you heard people talk about uh, idolizing other people or like oh don't don't let your family become an idol don't let your spouse become an idol don't let your significant other you know whoever become an idol but I think in that I was like in my mind thinking I should quantify, like, just make sure my love for God is more than my love for people. And I guess I'm, I'm just kind of learning, but also it's sort of a question of, like, you know, you know, people talk about, like, you don't want your love for other people to outweigh your love for God and make sure you're spending more time in your relationship with God than your relationship with other people. But I know, like, we are known as as disciples by our love for one another. Um, I guess, hmm trying to think how to ask this, but basically, like, think, how do you make sure, like, the commandments, like, try and keep the commandments, and not from becoming, I don't know how to phrase what I'm, what I'm trying to ask here, like, think. Like, you know, good for you to talk about if anyone does you a know, hate brother, mother, sister, for my sake, like, be willing to follow him at all costs. Um,
1: so is it, I don't know, is it are you asking if we're, if we're so... Often commanded to love people, how do we not let that compete with love for God? Yeah, they're
3: not at odds with each other. I know they work Mm -hmm. in harmony. Yeah, but I just know, like,
1: for my own
3: sake, like, I I love my family, and like, I don't. You don't want your church. Like, sometimes I've been convicted of even my own church being an idol for me, like in a in an unhealthy sense of like unwillingness to like I don't want to go anywhere else. Like, this is this is where I'm at, and like, you don't want those two things. They're not by nature at odds, like, they work in harmony with each other. Like, what, what does that look like, not letting other people become yeah. idols? Because we are commanded so much, like, really, in really large ways, like, loving others more than ourselves, being willing to die to ourselves mm-hmm. for others, considering others above ourselves, like, and so it's not like you want to try to love people less so you can love God more, but sometimes I feel at odds in my own heart with, like, I love the people that God's given me so much. It's like, what does it look like? What would you call idolatry of like other people, like what, what's that, the difference there between loving people so much and making
1: them an idol? Um, other people are free to answer as well, but I think I would say, so all of those commands to love each other come after the gospel was preached. And even the command in John's gospel to love doesn't come until like chapter 13 and the first 12 chapters are really the gospel. It's the seven I am statements of Christ. And then the first three chapters of Ephesians are the gospel. It doesn't talk about, it doesn't talk much about our relationships with like horizontally. It just talks about the gospel. So Paul is saying you got to start at the gospel and then then love people. So, I think if you soak in Ephesians 1 through 3 in the gospel, that love for God grows, that vertical love. And then that sets you up for health to love in an Ephesians 4 way. So, like, you can't skip to Ephesians 4 because you'll get it all wrong. You'll just love them because they're lovable, and then when they become unlovable, you know, it's done. So, I think that's what I would say, but Joel wants to. Joe might have a good. Okay, so Paul says, I count everything lost,
4: like all my good deeds, right? Like loving one another, things like that. When it moves from counting it loss over to, this is, this is I'm trusting in this to make me righteous. And this, and so therefore I'm putting my hope in, in me loving other people well and me loving my family. Well, this is this is the reason why I'm, I'm a believer. As opposed to Jesus and Him alone, that's when it becomes idolatry. I, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, so go back to back to the gospel. Like even even our most righteous deeds, right, are filthy rags. So I'm not putting my hope and trust in that. I'm putting my hope and trust in, in Christ mm-hmm. and, and Him alone. And then from that will flow. Those things, but it's just we're so we're so wicked and twisted that we want to go right back to, oh, see, this is this is my grounds that I'm saved. Well, no, it's not works; it's it's faith. Um, we just and therefore have to repent and once again trust in Christ for our, our righteousness and Him alone. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that makes sense. Loss. Count everything lost, even those deeds of loving others, loving family. Anything uh, we count it as lost, as opposed to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. So yeah. yeah.
2: Um, I wanted to speak to that and also just submit my answer everybody as well so that my thinking is right. I think the basis or, or the, my answer, how I would answer that, is focus. If you are trying to love someone, the Bible says love someone, heart and love them, your focus is off. If you are trying to love Christ with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, love for others is a result. You will love others because you love Christ supremely and we cannot, we cannot out love Christ. We cannot outlove our family, we cannot outlove somebody, and, and we will hold higher esteem for certain people in our family because they're our family. and we love them with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, kind of, but Christ is the focus. I think it's said well here is that one click off of Christ, um, and we're off, so when we focus on loving others, we're off, we focus on loving Christ, we will love others because that's what he does. And a long time ago, uh, one of my pastors, Brother Bobby Moore, used to use an illustration of a pyramid or a cone, if you want to think of it, and Christ is the point of that cone. His people are all the way around the circumference of that cone. If we will focus on Christ and move towards him, inevitably we move closer together. I think it's focus. Focus is, is the answer to how people don't become an idol. If we focus Focus on people, they're becoming an idol. If we focus on Christ and we move towards Christ, Christ we cannot help but move towards one another. I agree.
1: All right.
0: Can I say one thing about that? Uh, An illustration you all have heard before comes from Psalm 43. I'll mention the verse in a second. The illustration is the sun and its beams. And uh, if we trace... All the blessings of God up the beam to its source, that's good Christian living. God's honored. He's glorified. But if it terminates on the gift and doesn't get traced back to the giver, then it's idolatry. So Psalm 43, I will go to the altar of God to God, Psalm 43, 3, my exceeding joy, literal joy kind of really wooden translation, I will go to God, the joy of all my joys. So God's really happy to give you 10 billion joys. He loves for you to have joys because each one of them is to be a a little catapult that throws you to God. So you should take more joy than a lost person in every gift relationally and otherwise that you have because you know where it came from, and it actually helps you to rejoice in Christ more. Uh, So I will go to God, the joy of all my joys, so every little joy you get, let it thrust you on uh, to the giver, like trace the beam back up to the sun. But well said by everybody, and thank you, brother, for leaving, so.
1: All right, Um. Well, let me pray for us, and we got 11 minutes. Lord Jesus, you do care for us like a good parent cares for their child. So many uh, details and hours and intentions go into that. And that's what um, you've done this morning, and that's what um, I'm convinced that you're about to do. In this next hour and a half, you're just going to care for us and nourish us. Just like you, you love your own body, just like a, a person loves themselves and um, looks out for their interests, that's, that's how you love us. You're looking out for our good. So I just pray that our good would come out of this time and the next, um, the next couple of hours, that you would feed us and nourish us and renew us and purify us um, for your Father's glory.